Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Scroll. So this week, we're responding to a listener, and we really like when we can do that, especially when we can do it quickly. And in this case, a listener named Simon, who's gotten in touch before. We like to hear from folks who are uh, regular listeners. And uh, Simon says that uh, he has a puzzle, and he re referred us to an article which we found really, really interesting. Uh, and uh, the article is by Darren Peterson. I hope I've got the name right. Yeah, Darren Peterson from Lullabot. You'll find the link in the show notes. And the article is all about why not everything is a user story. And Simon asked, hey, have you done anything on this before? We, we've kind of touched on it. Uh, we'll, we'll include at least one link to a rant I had about non-functional requirements. That might be interesting. But also was interested in our reaction to the story and a, and a, a particular uh, angle that he had on, on what's in the article. So Jeffrey, we've now read the article. We have some interesting reactions, I think. What, what were your thoughts? Well, first of all, uh, thanks again, Simon, for sending this in because I did really appreciate it. And it this came at a very good time for me because uh, user stories have been a big part of my life in this past week. So this is the, aligned very well the uh, the energy of what I was ready to talk about. And uh, there was a lot in the article uh, actually that I agreed with. Um, and there's some parts where we didn't. Now, the, the title of the article was Not Everything is a User Story. And it lays out the distinction between what they're calling um, you know, actual user-based stories, and then something else that they that they were saying are not user stories, but that uh, people often make the mistake of trying to force and shoehorn into the user story, and and that led to a really interesting um, insight that you brought up, Squirrel, uh, about what it means when you the feedback from the tool you're using. So just so that we're ever on the same page, let's just describe what we mean by the typical user story format. And sure. I think this is something that people um, might be use, uh, used to. There's a lot of references we could give. The good news, it's it's right there in the article. So it, we're not. I don't think we need to give a separate reference to. But the standard sort of format is as a, and it says type of user. And often I would use persona here because we use persona uh, as in our approach. So as a given persona, I want to do this action so that I can get some benefit. So let me let me give a good and and possibly um, twisted example. Um, so okay. listeners have ha have examples. So as a uh, and actually we can use the the one from the article if I can find it. Um, uh, I'll, I'll, um, yeah, here it goes. As an amateur chef, I want to uh, make uh, delicious recipes so that my friends are impressed with my. Uh, recipe making, something like yep. that. That's not a beautiful one, but it goes through the, the steps. Or I want to look up great recipes that use potatoes because I have a lot of potatoes, something like right. that. Yeah. Um, and a not so good one would sound something like this. And I have, this is real. This is not a made up one for those who might not believe it. Uh, I have actually heard things like this. As a database, I want to <laughs> store information about the user's name so that the user can find out what, so I can tell the user what her name is. So I can display the user's name, something like that. Yes. And something's gone badly wrong in that case. <laughs> yes. I, I, I really, that's a great example. I've certainly come across these, and people often talk about these as sort of, well, these technical user stories. And, and there's an example from the article. Uh, and, and there's, they say, as the system, I want to verify a user's OAuth uh, credentials before granting access so that I can ensure secure connections. And, and I, but the problem is I've never met a system 
I've worked on systems before, but none's ever come up to me and said, hey, Squirrel, there's some things I want to do. Can you help me? That system has never done. I don't think we have a generalized AI yet that can accomplish that. And and it, and I think this is where this is kind of the first point of insight that you and I had in looking at this, which was um, the the tool when you use it is giving you feedback, and when you find yourself doing something strange and unnatural like that, what I often have, you know, people say is, yeah, this is a problem with user stories. User stories are dumb because <laughs> because they they lead they mean that we end up writing these these sort of unnatural stories. And that's not the position of. Darren in the in the article. So Darren Peterson says says, "Hey, user stories are good, but you shouldn't use them in these cases where you have to do funny stuff." And I think that's where we disagree. Yeah, and it's interesting because because we you know we, there's a part even on on the path that I think we we may agree because he makes a distinction between tasks and stories. Mm. And I would often say in in um, structuring the work around a story. I might come up with various tasks that I'm going to, I kept in my head, my plan for how I'm going to implement the story could be expressed as tasks. And he, he talks about tasks as simple imperative statements that declare what must be done. Mm -hmm. And that seems useful to me, but I'm, those are usually children of stories for me there. If it's in some system or written on a card, it's like a bullet point list of stuff I'm going to do in order to accomplish the story. I agree, and 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 so let's kick his example where he's taking that poor user's OAuth example, and he says, okay, require a valid uh, OAuth token for access to the system. Now, and it, here's the point: is he's now um, not going for that hierarchical. This task is driven from a story. He's saying we should just get rid of that. And he and he, and he gives an explanation. He says the imperative or authority to do the work in this case, you know, comes from the organization's need to provide security or earn revenue. He has another example around advertising. See, and again, I've got a problem there because I've never met an organization. I've met people. <laughs> people come up to me and they say, Squirrel, I have this problem or I want to do this thing or isn't this great? Organizations yes. never do that. Yes. And, and and this is a funny thing there because we agree what he says about the value of user stories. I think he makes a, Darren makes a very good point and one that's similar to what we've talked about in the past because uh, um, part of what Simon asked us was, had we ever covered user stories before? And and we did uh, in a couple of ways. We, 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 we covered it a bit in an, in an article where you had a bit of a rant about non-functional requirements. And we also covered it when we were doing our Agile Manifesto series in principle six. And there we talked about uh, how a story card is a promise for a conversation, quoting Alistair Coburn. And we'll put links to these in the show notes. And this fits very well with what Darren describes as the strength of user stories. And he says, the conversation around actual user-based stories builds understanding between the business and our development team. And it sets us on the right path. It just needs to recognize that the user story format itself isn't magic. And, and he's right, it's not the format. And this is where I think people go wrong when they try to shoehorn things into the, in, unnaturally into the format. But the, the, the magic, there is magic in this, and it's the conversation part. Mm -hmm. And that what I, what I think what we don't like so much about his, his proposed solution, which is to go directly to the task, is that he, he, he seems to be dropping that conversational element. And there are interesting humans who are benefiters of the system. You could make a, a sort of semantic argument about whether they're users. But for example, in the OAuth example, it could be that there's someone who has to um, uh, ensure that there's uh, auditable requirements. You know, you're not showing personal data of the amateur chef to somebody else. And so there, in, in Europe, we have GDPR and there are similar rules around the world. So it could be that that person is actually the person with whom you want to have a conversation. 
because yes. that's the person within the organization who is saying, hey, we have to have a login here. We can't just let people see each other's recipes because you might see my recipe for lemon meringue pie and I sue the, the recipe site because you <laughs> saw my, you know, my secret recipe. You weren't supposed to do that. And I'd like to understand that when I'm building that story. He has another example, which is a very good one and a typical one I've seen many times. Um, the, as a user, I want to see advertisements so that I can um, see things that might interest me. Of course not. Users don't want that. <laughs> but there's somebody who does, and in that case, it's probably the advertiser. And so it'd be really useful if I'm going to show some advertisements to talk to the advertiser. That person might have some needs and wants and wishes, which may be in conflict with those of um, the, the users of the site, the people who are logging in and making the recipes. But understanding those conflicts would be really useful and making sure that you make clear trade-offs about them. If you simply make a task which says show adverts, you're going to miss all that conversation. Now, the funny thing for me, and I'm going to stick with this example, is because, he, and I think this supports for me the idea of the value of a conversation. Uh, he makes the insight. He says, take our example from above. Maybe traditional web advertising is a substandard way of generating revenue from your business, but you'll never have that conversation if you paint over it with false user requirements and benefit statements. And I totally agree, but I don't see how tasks help this. Yeah. <laughs> Where does it trigger a conversation either? Exactly. So whereas if we try to say, so I think part of what we're saying is, uh, I would reinforce this way, user stories are good because you have a, a story about the conversation. And there's a lot of reasons why stories are valuable. Stories, uh, in my mind, I've often told people that stories are the unit of idea transmission. That just, they're, you know, this is how human psychology works. We, we understand why we understand things in the context of stories. And so making a story for what you're doing helps people have a shared understanding of what you're doing or why you're doing it. And, and we want to have that why conversation. And to me, I put that together with what you described, which is that there is some human. All work matters to some human. So for in these cases, for these user stories, they clearly understand to the user, but what Darren's calling technical tasks, what we're seeing is there are users it matters to. And mm -hmm. we can have stories for those humans. Maybe we, have, maybe we have to call them human stories sometimes instead of user stories. I'm not Indeed. sure. Well, you could have this debate about whether the, the, the compliance person who's in charge of the, the logins, is that a user? I claim that person is. That person's an indirect user in the sense that um, that, that person's going to get the angry phone call from the person with the lemon meringue pie if that's, if that's what's <laughs> going to happen. So that person's a user at least indirectly of the system. There is there, Having a result of the system matter to him or her. But you want somebody to whom you could be accountable. And I'm not claiming that in every case you have to be accountable to that person, that you have to be checking every second, that you have to have the conversation every five minutes to, to verify every single uh, requirement, every single thing that you're going to be working on. But uh, when I'm doing any kind of work, and this includes, by the way, things that uh, uh, some developers, and I, I think they incorrectly use this word for it, uh, uh, refactoring. Refactoring really is something you do in about 60 seconds as part of your writing of code. It's, it's not a, a, a thing that takes two weeks to change the entire authentication module. But when people are doing that kind of work, their users, their interested humans, may be other developers. Hey, I'm going to make this code more maintainable so all of us stop wanting to poke our eyes out with a rusty fork every time we look at it. And then I can be accountable. And it could be I'm just accountable to myself that I look at and say, yeah, this is better. Could be, and especially if I'm going to invest two weeks in it, I might want to show it to some other developers. And if they say it's worse, then at least I found out before I released it. And uh, I'm accountable in that way for uh, what I've built. And I have found a human who's going to benefit from what I'm doing. 
and that human has verified is either worthwhile or not. I think that's what we kind of sum up maybe uh, at least my reaction. And I think you can tell me where yours is a bit different. Um, I, I really enjoyed Darren's article. I think he made some good points, but he also hit some things where, where I would part ways on it. I think the idea, um, I do like the idea of tasks, but for me, the tasks should be rooted within a story. And I sense that there's always a story for what we're doing. And, and I find it is helpful to identify it. And I think having a story makes it more likely that we find alternatives. And if it, you use his example, we're more likely to have a conversation in my mind that maybe traditional web advertising is not a good way to do it for our business. If we have identified the person to whom we would be, be um, having the conversation with about um, putting in you know, Google advertising. Mm -hmm. And so I think then we come back now um, so to that. So I think that's our summary for that. User stories are good. Conversations are good. Um, if you find you're writing awkward stories, it's not a follow the tool. Think about what you're doing and figure out how can I find write what I'm doing in terms of a conversation with some human. And I think that will help you sit on the right path. Indeed. But we should come back to Simon's original question because he, he put something else in his email, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. He said, uh, what, what, I can find, what I find that I can relate to in the article is sometimes the user story alone doesn't convey enough of the how, especially when for reasons of cost or non-functional requirements, you are swapping out some piece of the tech but not dramatically changing the story. It's not clear to me in these situations what would be the Agile practitioner's artifact of choice. Well, I don't know about all Agile practitioners, but... Um, I think we can apply what we just talked about and uh, determine what our artifact is. I, I predict it's going to be a story and a conversation. Yeah, a, a, a human story. Uh, and remember, the story cards are a promise for a conversation. So uh, we could write that story, and then we could have a conversation about why we're doing it and what benefits we get and you know, how do we feel about this choice. And what we want to have is that, uh, is that conversation. Mm-hmm. I have a perfect example of, of this kind of thing where I was doing due diligence recently for a company whose AWS bills were sky high, and they knew it. So they, they were clear about it as we were doing the checks and the audit and so on. And they said, yep, we know this is too high. And here's our detailed plan for addressing it. Now, they didn't put it in terms of user stories. I, I think they would have benefited from doing so. And those stories might read something like, uh, as an investor, I want my money to be used effectively <laughs> Um, and not yeah. wasted on um, servers that we don't need so that we can invest it in expanding the business. And then you would want to go find the investor, in this case, my client, the person for whom I was doing the due diligence, and say, yeah, how much do we have to reduce it by? And what are you going to spend the money on? And uh, what benefits does this have? So that you know whether to cut by 10% or 30% or stop using AWS altogether. I, I do really like that article because it does identify some of the things that I've seen happen among development teams where they're going to make a change that for them, it's obvious why they should do it. And and a good example is what you said, we're going to we're something that we know is a good thing. We're going to reduce our costs and that has to be good. But the problem is it's not always good. Exactly. In this case, it is. Yeah. So, so I have another client who uh, uh, spent uh, many, many months trying to reduce their AWS bill, and it was already de minimis. It was already unimportant. There was right. a huge other benefit that they could have been spending time on, but they were spending a huge amount of effort trying to, in, in part, to, to reduce their, their uh, hosting bill. Their hosting bill was tiny. didn't matter. Right. And someone else, I've also come across examples where there's a business opportunity that dwarfs the cost that you're trying to save. Exactly. So you, yep. you have this opportunity cost and, and yes, it's, you know, all thing, all things being considered, you know, if, if, if all, rather all else being equal, 
then uh, lower cost might be better. But it, very often, all the things are not equal. <laughs> there's there's other choices. There's a trade-off you're making. And uh, for me, these conversations are about identifying the trade-offs and saying, do we all value the trade-offs the same way? And at least can we get to, to a clear understanding of what the trade-offs we are are making? That sounds great. So our summary of our answer to Simon is, uh, yes, our artifact of choice is a user story in the format that we talked about, but maybe with a slightly different user or a different definition of user, namely an interested human. Yep. All right. And thank you very much, Simon, for sending that in. Absolutely. Yeah. And if other listeners would like to get their questions answered, you can do that in lots of different ways. Uh, for example, you can write to us, you can come to us on Twitter, you can go to conversationaltransformation.com and you'll find lots of different bits about us. I do office hours pretty regularly. Uh, Jeffrey has the uh, London organizational meetup. So there's lots of places to find us and uh, conversationaltransformation.com is probably the best place to start in getting in touch with us. We'd sure like to hear from you. And of course, we always like it when people hit the subscribe button, because that means we'll be coming back for the next 130 episodes, whatever we're up to these days, uh, and uh, we'll be showing up in your inbox every Wednesday. So we'd like to continue doing that. Okay. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Carl.